Yeah, so um, I would, just, would suggest that we, we start with uh, your workshop. And I would like to start with a prayer. And Rafat, if you could close with your prayer, if that's fine. Do that. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this opportunity, despite of the situation we are in, that we, however, can meet and that we can exchange and get encouragement um, despite our distances between us. We'd like to ask you now for this workshop, for this breakout session, that you pour your Holy Spirit, and particularly upon Elder uh, Kamal, that uh, you can speak through his lips to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us. Um, this is not, um, as you can imagine, it's not the best situation. I hope you can all hear me. If you can't, um, just send a message to Christiana on chat. or And uh, I have no problem that you all unmute your buttons. We're a small group. So just stop me anytime. Uh, if you don't hear me or you have questions, this is going to be a relaxed um, uh, session. I'm trying to remember when I should stop for questions. Um, if I remember correctly, 1.15 to... I have one hour, correct? Exactly. Plus questions. And 14.15 and then we end at 14.45. Yeah. Um, so no problem stopping anytime, unmuting yourself, asking questions. We're going to deal with, um, actually, I have to say, a difficult topic, but it's an important topic. How do you operate in a volunteer environment? Um, we often say in the church system, you cannot fire your leadership. It's not a business. It's something that you've got to, go the first mile, the second mile, third mile, and be patient. And with the church members, who in my opinion, um, they are the most important. Local churches are the most important. Uh, it is not what comes out of the general conference, although that is important in a certain area. Uh, that is uh, where, the, where the influence and the power is. The influence and the power is with the Holy Spirit working at the local level in the local church on our brothers and sisters there. And I think that's where things happen, where things move. Um, so we're going to talk about this whole thing of building trust. How do you build trust, especially in a volunteer organization? And this one has so many sides. Um, how do you keep trust in God, in the language that we use, in the way we behave? How do you remain faithful and keep trust in our identity and mission as Seventh-day Adventists? That's another big, big uh, bubble on its own. How do you keep trust um, and have the right conversations with the people outside in the public? And uh, when you have discussions in the church, what kind of discussion do we have to maintain a trust? And then you have the intergeneration aspect of trust. How do you keep trust in God, in the community, in our faith, uh, among the children, among the young people? Um, even the elderly, who sometimes the senior members feel alienated in, a, in an environment that is multi-generational. How do you maintain trust and have the right conversation in a world church when we deal with the issues that affect us as together as a world church? So you can see, 
I'm just skimming through the surface today. But reality is this is a huge topic. It covers so many aspects. And trust is important, keeping trust in God, the message, the mission, and us as a family is, is quite a daunting exercise. Is that okay? Just stop me anytime if you have questions or maybe some areas maybe that you feel you want some questions to. I will try to kind of find a way to build it into the presentation. We have one hour and then we're gonna open at the end for half an hour for questions from you but you can stop me anytime and we will have the discussion questions. Um, let me see here. Uh, just a glance of the TED, uh, probably some of you know this, but we're a territory of 22 countries, many languages, it's the smallest office within the World Church. The World Church has uh, 13 division units, which are basically GC branches. And uh, we're 88,000 disciples, I call them, 1,350 communities and so many employees. So there you see on your screen, a glance, just a glimpse of what the Trans-European Division uh, is there. Um, not long time ago, it was actually last year that we had a fire in front of you from our window where our office is. You see the St. Albans Church. Christiana has been to our office many times. And behind the church, there's some flats uh, where our staff, some of our staff stayed. And then we had a major fire. And it was so impressive to see 32 rescue vehicles, 32 ambulance, fire departments, police cars, just rush to the scene within about a minute and a half from the time the fire starts. And they immediately are so well drilled. They're so well drilled. Immediately, there was a lady who was in charge of coordinating all this. She had a speaker. She was communicating, you go in, you go out. There was a registry on the side who goes in and who goes out. And it is exceptionally expressive, impressive, the way they conducted the rescue operation. And we thank God that there was no one hurt. A couple of them were taken to hospital because of smoke, but uh, inhalation, but no, no, no serious casualties, uh, no one hurt. And then I got in touch with a friend of mine and I, I asked him, I said, I'm so impressive with the response from the ambulance services, the fire department, the police. And he responded to me and he said, saving lives is always a priority. Our calling, this is saving lives for the police, for the ambulance service, for the fire department is our priority. And I thought to myself, wow, if we as a church can run the best organized, efficient, effective with a focus organization, with a focus on saving lives. And I thought, wow, that was a, that's something we can learn from the public service that is provided here in the United Kingdom. Of course, our motivation, our motivation is Jesus Christ. Um, as we heard in the message this morning, those who listen to this, the focus is on Jesus. He's already paid the price. He's already conquered. Our hope is in him. And it took a huge plan of salvation just to make this happen through the sacrifice of Jesus. Saving lives is his priority. And he wants us to run the best run organization. And I think just thinking like this, with these assumptions, it kind of starts building trust. It builds trust between us and God. It is an expectation. It builds trust between ourselves as a community. 
So um, for those who just joined us, welcome everyone. And uh, you can unmute, you can ask questions anytime. And uh, we will go through a presentation for now a bit less than an hour. Okay, this trust and goodwill, how do you do that? Um, we at the division office, we, have, we see the, the wonderful things that God is blessing our church members. But we know as well that building trust is an intrinsic exercise. Yes, it has implications how we run, how are we accountable with the resources. These are important elements in administration. But building trust, it starts with the heart. It starts with the Holy Spirit working on our hearts. It starts with certain relationship that we have with God, to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We start with certain assumptions that Jesus Christ is leading the church. He will bring it to good fruition. He makes a growth happen. And uh, there are a couple of times in the Bible where God audibly spoke. And both times, if you notice, remember at the baptism and in the uh, transfiguration, both times when God spoke, he pointed to his son. The focus was his son. And the second time at the transfiguration, he said, listen to him. Look at his life, follow his life, follow his commandments. And I think that's an integral part when we talk about trust and goodwill, that we need to have the right assumption, the right foundations for us. Uh, and basically, and Christiana has taken a doctorate in leadership, if you want to pull one lesson out of the life of Jesus Christ and teaching of Jesus Christ, when it comes to leadership, is he did the will of the Father. You can narrow it down to five words. He did the will of the Father. And I think that kind of element also builds trust. Are we here to do the will of the Father, to please him? It is his mission. And uh, I'm often reminded, and I, I often remind our leaders, remind myself, and as I mentioned at the start, we are a volunteer organization. Um, the way you run a volunteer organization is different from the way you run a business. Um, we need that Holy Spirit to bring us together, to keep us united on the message, on the mission, on the things that matter. Evil's is church. And I believe that uh, in my leadership, and I hope in your leadership as well, and your sphere of influence, that you are dependent on him. Um, Ellen White makes a comment. She says, without the daily grace of God, not a single person will remain converted. I think that's quite a powerful statement. It's a daily journey. It's a daily discipleship. It's a daily walk with him. And he, we need his guidance. He is the shepherd. So when we talk about trust, goodwill, and having the right conversation, that is um, extremely important that we keep some of these, what I call basic foundational blocks in mind. There's a verse in Habakkuk. I always try to look for new verses because you have the traditional verses, but there are some new verses I always try to look and uh, to search in the Bible. And it's Habakkuk chapter three. Uh, and I hope you can see the screen. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread 
on the heights. And that's a comforting message. I can tell you in my work there, um, uh, there are days which are very frustrating. But you train your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit that he makes you, helps you focus uh, on the things that matter. And every time you get frustrated and you become impatient um, and, and you take a bit of a dip, you look for the happy place. The happy place for me is the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he paid the price, that he is leading. And these are comforting words when we talk about trust, goodwill, good conversation. Warren Buffett, he made the statement, it takes 20 years to build a reputation of trust and goodwill and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you do things differently. So I've often argued that the biggest asset for our church is people. It is you and me. It's our church members. And the biggest risk for our church is people too. It is internal. It's how we behave towards each other. How are we relation, have, what kind of relationship we have with God? And the recognition that it requires the Holy Spirit, that wonderful power and person of the Holy Spirit to transform us, to help us focus on the things that matter. And I, I'm just building the blocks right now. I'll come to a little bit more detailed information throughout the presentations. Some few thoughts on when we talk about trust, goodwill, and conversation. I think God wants us more than just to be people of the book. Now, we're studying right now Sabbath school uh, lesson, and I, I, I really pray that, I love Sabbath school, by the way. I, I, I teach Sabbath school. I love Sabbath school. I wish our church members would just champion Sabbath school. And, and the beautiful thing about Sabbath school lessons, uh, and especially this one, although many of them are fantastic, uh, this one is written by Mark Finley. And in a way, this Sabbath school lesson you probably don't even need to study it. Just read it and you'll be inspired and blessed. This is how amazing the lesson is for this time. Somehow our church as a world church, and sometimes I'll just, I'm not cynical. I, I, I can't think possible. Sometimes I will point out some things which are changing the DNA of the church. We were people of the book. We were the kind of people who studied. We were the kind of people who uh, uh, took Sabbath school very seriously because Sabbath school focuses on the study of God's word and also on mission. But we're also in a time, 21st century, and that's not only in Europe, that is also throughout the world, and we discuss it as division presidents with Elder Wilson, uh, that people come to the main service at 11 o'clock to receive a blessing. And they're missing out on that Sabbath school exercise. And that is dangerous. That is because our young people are going to universities and they don't have the grounding in the Bible truth. And you wonder sometimes, where do they get their ground? And Sabbath school is a station in their life where they can come and grow in learning about what the Bible says. I think that is, uh, we're missing this one. So we are more than just people of the book. Uh, we need the people, we need the truth. And we have the truth. And God has blessed us as a remnant with additional light and truth to bring to the world. And I, I rejoice when I think about the Sabbath, about the second coming of Christ, about Christ being the intercessor. We have some amazing gems. But I think we need to also recognize that our relationship needs to be more dynamic, more than just know, but we need to live. And so um, a second thought, I look at our lives that we are called by God. It is not a job. It's not a title that you have in a local church or in the administration of the church. Um, 
So sometimes when I'm starting to feel sorry for myself, I tell myself, Robert, um, you, haven't, you have not looked high enough. You need to look high enough. When you think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when you think about the plan of salvation, when you think about this wonderful God who sent his son, a God, to this earth to die, you and me, that's when you start seeing the ultimate. And so when you start feeling sorry for yourself, and sometimes we all do that, we haven't looked high enough. And the time you look at the cross, you start to understand, wow, there's a much bigger reality that I need to look at and get my strength from. So uh, that's the second just uh, thought. When you talk about trust, building trust and conversation, how we speak, how we express ourselves. Sometimes I have to say, uh, I struggle. I, I struggle to find words to talk about God. I struggle to find words to express the plan of salvation, the sacrifice of Christ. And so it is so rich, it's so beautiful. A third, a, third, uh, a third element, just bring it to the discussion here, is that we need to have a growing mindset. Sometimes we, many of us are left-brainers, and we limit our work, our relationship with God, or the opportunities that we have with other people to certain boxes. But God is a God of opportunities. God is just amazing. Uh, so many times we hear in our work in our church in Europe, we talk about the different isms. Um, but I'm saying, wait a minute. This wonderful God can perform miracles every day in your life and my life, and he can do it in that in our neighbor. So, so I think we need to have a growing mindset rather than closed mindset. And the last point, just to reflect on that, when we talk about uh, building trust, we need to deal with the lure of narcissism, where the focus is not on me and the organization. There's something bigger than you and me. And so therefore, there's that temptation um, to kind of elevate the evangelists or the extroverts or, or those who are out in the public eye. But I think we all have a play to role. That is a beautiful thing about total member involvement, that we need to be committed in service to God. And I believe that when people see my neighbor, my family, my colleagues at work, they see my life, that I have trust, this extraordinary love toward heaven and to my neighbor. I think that is instrumental in building trust and goodwill. Who I, who am I as a person? So um, change happens at the speed of trust. If you want change to happen within your local church, within your local community, um, uh, trust, you need to build that element of trust. You need to build that element of trust. And um, I entitled this next slide, Great Illusion of Trust. I remember we were at... Uh, at the GC meeting and the division presidents were meeting there. And the division president from Australia, he tends, he has this habit of bringing chocolate with him from Australia. Now, Christiana, I don't understand. I need to be careful because I know this is recorded, but I've never heard about Australian chocolate. Uh, I, I know I've heard about Swiss or Belgian chocolate. But um, anyway, so he brings Australian chocolate, probably made in Switzerland, and he distributes among the, uh, the division presidents. And I was sitting toward the end of the table so each of them got a box. And then when he came to me, his hands were empty. And he said, uh, Rafat, I'm, I'm very sorry. I was on this long flight and I, and I was hungry. I needed some sugar. So I opened your box and I ate the chocolate. And I quickly said to him, do not worry, my friend. Uh, it's a thought that counts. Um, 
when it comes to Christianity, the thought doesn't really count. We can talk about our message and express our message over and over and over again. But if we're not Christ-like, if we don't live that message, I think there's immediately a blockage. We're not, that really quickly eradicates deals, kind of destroys trust, goodwill. So when we don't live in our own personal life, uh, Christ and his teachings, um, uh, we will struggle. I, not far from me here, um, when all the churches closed doors because of lockdown, one of the churches opened their doors and um, they opened the doors almost 24-7 and they decided to co connect with the community. Many of our churches in Europe are high, high wall churches. They meet, they're there, empty shells and they're activated on a Sabbath morning for three hours. But this church decided to open despite the lockdown. They exercised social distancing they had uh, uh, the masks on and they decided to reach the community. And within just almost a month, they grew from three volunteers to about 70 volunteers, many of them from our church members. They were providing 3,000 meals a day for people in the community. They were providing support in mental health, those who are lonely and isolated. Um, and they worked together with governments, local governments. We were mentioned twice uh, by the member of parliament here in this area, uh, in, in the House of Parliament in London. And the mayors were involved, number of key people in the community. And I rejoice. When I joined them on a number of these trips and my wife, she, she, uh, she contributes her time to support that, uh, that initiative. I rejoice that maybe for once, we have become the salt and light in the community. We, there's visibility to who we are as Seventh-day Adventists in a very tangible and practical way. Breaking the high wall churches and building trust with the community. So when people say, who are you as Seventh-day Adventists? People talk about one vision during a time of crisis, during a time where there is lockdown, where it is death around us, where creation is growing. And through this spirit of volunteerism, caring for people, helps build trust. So I thought we need to bring that in, that it's not enough that we hold beliefs. And I, I champion beliefs because I believe our message, our identity on the message needs to be very clear. But also it needs to be clear on the mission. And that's one thing which I rejoice when I think about GYC and ASI. And that's what they try to champion through the various activities that they have. And I believe that would be one of the outcome with God's help, that we, there would be an army of volunteers in Europe as a result of this e event and other events that they plan. So um, the great illusion of trust, the thought doesn't count. We need to put our faith in action and that is absolutely wonderful. I'm looking at the time and I might have to rush Christiana to make sure that we allow time. Um, when some, some practical thoughts about how to build trust and I have three points here. We call, we, one of them, one of the approaches to call wet cement conversations. And I believe these are happening. It is hard to have this uh, on screen like we're doing right now with, uh, with the Zoom. But I think uh, when I, what I saw in Porto and Portugal, what I saw as well 
uh, the event in Paris. There are groups, small groups, sitting there planning together uh, for events, for programs, for fundraising, for evangelistic initiative. These are the kind of what we call wet, wet cement conversations, where there isn't just one leader. Christiana doesn't stand in the front and says, these are the directives. How can we pull our ideas together to bring the bigger good? And that's one way to build trust. Trust in each other as a community, also in our relationship with God. So, um, uh, and I, I believe in praying. I believe like uh, we heard in the message this morning from Bracho, pray, pray more, and pray earnestly. And I think that's um, very important that we do that together as well as a team, as a group, when we talk about building trust. Because I'm, I can tell you, I am incapable, uh, even in my role of influence here at the division, to build trust in God's mission, his message, his church, and bring that unity. I think we, we require a supernatural power to bring all the complex players, elements together to build that trust that, that is needed for us to focus. And tomorrow, by the way, the, I'll be focusing tomorrow in my, in my uh, workshops on disconnect and convergence. Uh, how can we bring all the elements together to be able to focus on the one mission that God has given us? He is the author of our mission. He is perfecter of our mission. So tomorrow afternoon, same time, I'll be dealing with the issues of uh, disconnect and convergence uh, within our church. Um, some practical also advice when we talk about trust, especially in the new generation that we have, the millennials, um, there has to be a higher purpose. I, I chair numerous committees and I sit on many committees. And I can tell you that many of our committees um, deal a lot with the how, the what, and the when. But we don't spend enough time on the why. Why are we here? What is our identity? And why do we do what we do? I think, I think we need to get that clarity on the why. Um, I think that's what, especially the young generation are asking that question over and over again, and we don't always get it right. There's a story which you probably have heard, we use this in leadership training, about three men who were digging a, bit, a ditch, and a journalist came over to them, and he asked the first man, what are you doing? And uh, the first man said, duh, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm digging a ditch. He came to the second man and he asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm just trying to make a living to pay the bills for my family, uh, to make their, meet their needs. And then he came to the third man and said, what are you doing? He said, sir, I'm a power, I am part of a grand scheme to turn the dry valley into green pastures. I believe our vision, our mission needs to be big enough, high enough that we don't end dealing with the petty stuff and the decoration. We need to keep dealing with the core things of our mission, our purpose. And that's why I said in the beginning, every time I feel sorry for myself, there's that voice, nagging voice in my head, said, Rafat, you're not looking high enough. You haven't looked high enough. You're looking at yourself, you're looking at your situation where you're tired, you're frustrated, you're impatient. You need to look at higher, higher purpose, why you're here and what you do. And there's this um, statement by Alan Smith, if you allow me just to read it for you, it's on the screen in front of you. The focus of all what we are and all that we do is God. That's powerful. It's God. 
It is not in the first instance church or even mission. When other things become our main focus, we will be little more than a campaigning group, a heritage lobby, a self-help group catering for the needs of its members, or simply an outdated organization looking beyond its membership to delay the arrival of its sell-by date. Friends, it's God and God alone. I, 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 that's why I'm here. And I pray every day, Lord, help me to keep my focus on the things that matter, on the core things. Um, there's a lot of decoration in our church, a lot of nostalgia. You know, every time I see Evol's wagon bug, this was my first car, my heart jumps a beat. And uh, uh, that's nostalgia. That's, it's not like, you know, I will abandon everything and I go and buy a Volkswagen car. My wife will never approve it. She'll think I've lost it. But um, it's nostalgia. And we spend a lot of time dealing with nostalgia. Um, I come from Lebanon, for those who might not know that. And uh, uh, I go there maybe once, once a year. And there's something that I do every time I go to Lebanon. I wake up, I, 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 come, I arrive during an evening flight, evening time, and I wake up in the morning and I open the window. And there's an amazing view, which I run my eyes 360, well, 180 degrees, starting with Mount Sanin, which is 2,600 meters, and run my eyes all the way down to Beirut, the capital. And you can see this just from the window. And then I look down beside our building and there are two cedar trees, which I planted when I was eight, nine years old. Now I should have planted these cedar trees 40 meters apart, but I planted them about one and a half meters apart. So when you look at these two cedar trees, there's something doesn't look good, something doesn't fit. And of course I didn't have the foresight to plant them 40 meters apart. But it's a bit like, life situation. I can focus all my life on the two cedar trees, regret, focus on my personal circumstances, focus on the challenges. And in the middle of this, I lose sight of the big picture. I lose sight of the big view, why we're here. And I believe the devil brings into our life all kinds of difficult situations because we will lose sight our only source of hope, our only source of remedy, our only source of salvation. And we do that a lot in the church, by the way, in church business. But we're dealing with these Im immediate, urgent circumstances that take over our business. And we lose sight of the big picture, who God is. And at the end, we are here because of God and God alone. There is a mission. There is a plan of salvation. Jesus Christ paid the price. Victory has been achieved. And we need to work with these premises. Because if, we, if our language becomes positive, if our language changes to focus from the immediate circumstances that are injecting our life to distract us, they're decoration, they're not the real thing. They're nostalgia. They could be other factors. And lose sight of our main message, our mission, our purpose that God has given us. Friends, we will get distracted. We lose sight of the why, the big picture. So trust is also that focus. How can you keep focusing on the things that matter? 
Um, I already touched a little bit on this one, reality check number two, there needs to be conversations. People need to speak. If they, if they don't have an opportunity to speak, they will not have buy-in. And I think trust is one way of building trust. Is to, and we do that well in Europe, I have to say. In Europe, we do this well where there are small groups, um, people meet together, they discuss on their hearts, they understand each other's needs, and that's how trust is built. And these kind of conversations are important. Um, there's also the whole thing when we talk about trust. When we talk about the net generation that we live in, and COVID is just has changed the way we do business. Isn't that amazing? You know, uh, we sleep one day and then COVID shows up, and uh, and then we're under lockdown, and it changes the way we do work. Um, we told our staff in this office, we have 32 of them, that uh, considering the resurgence of COVID, you're not going to be flying until the end of December. And so a lot of us are just itching our head. It's like, how do we continue doing business? Because our business was international travel, coming to places, speaking to people. And now a lot of this is going to be done online. And so um, let's talk a little bit about this net. It's called the net world that we live in. Um, when we talk about trust. There's a lot of um, wonderful things that you see within our church media and communication channels. And uh, one thing which surprised me when I was in Lebanon, one of my cousins who was not a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, when I met her, you know, when I meet her, she, she follows my sermons. Maybe if this is, goes online, YouTube, she will be following this one as well. And she would be asking me questions when I go there. And she said, why did you say that? Uh, what, you know, and how does that reconcile with your Christian faith? What about your Christian values? Everything we say is public. Everything I say today is public. And I'm keeping that, that in the back of my mind. Uh, that's why when the IT person or wrote me and said, can I record? I said, you can record, but now I have to change my script because I cannot speak from my heart. Um, there's nothing called private life for me. Um, our life is public. When we sit down and discuss these controversial issues that we face as a world church, and we rush quickly to put articles and make statements, I have to tell myself, Lord, forgive me for not speaking well or eroding trust, the little trust that the word community might have in my church or my church might have in leadership. What a responsibility. In the old days, you can wait for a letter to come in the post for two, three weeks. Now we have emails. Now everything is on the net. Facebook, there's a book, and I don't know if you, if you are into reading books, it's called The End of Leadership. I'm looking at it right now. The End of Leadership. And it talks about the net the net culture, the net generation, how governments can rise and fall. They make reference to the Arab Spring. They make reference to the way Obama came to power. He mobilized the net, the net opportunities. And they can build trust quickly and they can erode trust. So when I talk about our church members, they're the biggest asset. But if we're not careful, they can also become the biggest liability. We as leaders, we as church members, we as, a, as, as uh, the contributors to God's plan of salvation.
what a responsibility we have. So I thought we should bring that element, and that's very relevant, relevant for us here in Europe in 21st century. What we put on Facebook, people are watching. There's very little called private conversation these days. Um, and I pray, I really pray that what we say and what we do and how we live is to contribute to building trust in the agency that God has created. Um, the whole church, when we talk a little bit, just uh, two, three slides on administration, construction, organization, the whole church is built on trust. The whole model of church leadership within the Seventh-day Adventist church is built on trust. And when we talk about building trust in God, there's the element of message, there's a block of mission, there's unity, there's leadership, and so on. But message, mission, unity, these are like three legs of a chair that are very important when we talk about trust. We need to be clear about this. What is our message? Many, many of our church members are confused. What is really our message? What is our identity as Seventh-day Adventists in 21st century Europe? What is our mission? What is, and how do we stay united? This is a big challenge. We've had many meetings like this, think tanks, and the issue of identity keeps coming up. There's a lack of clarity on identity. There's a lack of clarity on identity as a world church. And so um, what is that Adventist identity? And how can we, under God's Holy Spirit and guidance, prompt us in a direction together that we are clear on identity, we're clear on our message, and that we are together working to support God's mission. You know, the church structure, just quickly to say, it's, uh, it's built on trust. Uh, as, as many of you know, there are a number of levels for the church structure within the Seventh-day Adventist church. You have the general conference. Let's start from the local level. You have a local church. Then you have a conference. Conference is a collection of churches. Then they have the union of conference. It's a collection of conferences. And then you have the division. No, not the division, the general conference. Because division doesn't have a structure on its own. We are branch offices of the general conference. And every single unit that exists, it's just because the higher organization has trust in them to exist. So the local church cannot organize themselves and say, we are a local church. They need to have approval from the conference. The union cannot exist without approval from the general conference. And so every single level is operating on a base of trust. And these are some criteria when we talk about trust. One of them is faithfulness to the Seventh-day Adventist doctrines, compliance with denominational practices and policies, demonstrating demonstration of adequate leadership and financial capacity, and responsiveness to mission challenges and opportunities. So these, these are, according to our policies, four criteria that can really grant you, as an organization, to exist. Um, so loyalty to the faith, the faith, there's policies and practices, we call them club rules. There's also adequate leadership and financial capacity and doing the mission. And that's a beautiful statement from Ellen White, which I'm sure you're well familiar with, you've seen before. And feeble and defective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense of his supreme regard. It's not perfect. Don't ever think, don't ever think that church leaders are perfect. Don't ever think that the church organization is perfect. And that's an issue. That's an issue because we need to deal with our expectations as well as believers, as brothers and sisters. Because the time we place 
uh, Hollywood idealistic expectations on structures and people, it will not go. And the time you say, I'm expecting perfection or nothing, you're going to get nothing. And I'm talking about myself, friends. I'm the first to say, I'm growing every day. I'm learning every day. I need to unlearn every day. And I plead for God to give guidance to us. So when we talked about enfeebled and defective, I am enfeebled and defective. The church is enfeebled and defective. And I think we need to manage, when we talk about trust, that expectations need to be there. So my role, my role as a church member, I have no ownership rights, only responsibilities. God has given me responsibilities. And these responsibilities are reflected through your spiritual gifts. We just studied uh, in the Sabbath school lesson written by Mark Finley. Again, please, if you don't have the lesson, buy it, read it, download it. You will be inspired. When you think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. These become your responsibility. Let's switch to conversation. I'm looking at the time. I have 15 more minutes and then we're gonna open for questions. And it was written by George Bernard Shaw. Uh, although that can be challenged because I have seen some sources where people don't really know who said that. But uh, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that has taken place. Communication is uh, listening. It is applying. Um, it's not just me talking one way to you. Uh, it doesn't have Roots doesn't lead to transformation of heart and mind. Uh, it doesn't lead to action. Uh, so communication is a is a bigger thing, and uh, um, the times for us we need to speak up. The times to speak up. Um, what kills the church, and I see this in uh, Christiana. You see that as well when you sit on our committees, um, and you see it in many places that there's a large passive majority, passive majority in committees in the church. And if you don't speak up um, about the issues that matter for the mission, the message of the church, you're not fulfilling a role, an important role to contribute to these elements of good conversation, building trust, um, which leads to people operating in blocks of silos. This means I'm not, I'm afraid to open my opinion about uh, 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 BAME, the issue of black people, BAME, or, or the issues of justice, or the issues of uh, what is really Adventist identity, because uh, I might be boxed with the opinion of others or that. Um, I think that we, we need to speak up. We need to speak out. And I, I pray that God will put on your heart to speak out about the issues that matter for God's mission, the Bible values that we hold dearly. Um, this is just a list here. I, I wrote, silence can kill mission. Uh, and I'm not talking about only words. When you speak up, it's also speak in your life. What you apply in your life, how you live your life, uh, uh, the attitudes that you have, um, the values that you hold from the Bible. And I think these are all important when we talk about uh, uh, silence because of mission. So this is just a list here in front of you. Um, I believe it breaks unity if we don't speak up because people just harbor these ideas in their minds and it doesn't come out to the pool of ideas where people engage and grow together. Um, it's a beautiful picture of the design. I wish, I talked about images this morning and I talked about the image from Revelation chapter five. 
where the lion become, is a lamb slain. For me, that's an absolutely beautiful image. It gives me so much encouragement uh, that everyone worships Christ. He's worthy. Um, um, I believe we, considering that mission of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, we cannot afford not to speak out. We cannot afford not to act on his teachings. We cannot afford not to be the light and salt in the community. This project that I told you be next to us, not very far from here, where they're reaching out to the community, it opened doors for me uh, to meet with the head of the Sikh religion in London. And he asked me the question, what do the Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist Christians teach? And when you sit there, uh, um, you have an opportunity, amazing opportunity to speak out, speak up about your faith. That's what it does. When I go and knock on the doors of uh, elderly people who lock themselves in, and then we start and have a communication with, uh, with them on the door, and they discover that we, I'm a pastor and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, that's an opportunity where they ask me, somebody hasn't prayed for me for a year. Can you please pray for me? These are the kind of opportunities which help uh, build trust um, in our community, that we are salt and light. Uh, so um, speak up um, in life, in practice, as well as in word. That's going to build, help build trust in God and help build trust in others. Um, um, I'm trying to look at the time here and try to manage this one. Uh, we also, when we speak up and we have conversation as a church, um, I put this picture there. The two green spots is where the adrenaline is pushed up uh, which makes people sometimes angry and uh, shouting and uh, uh, speaking out of context and emotional. And uh, I think when we speak up, we need to do this in a, in a Christ-like manner, in a sweet manner, when we, even when we disagree. And for us, that's, as a community, a passionate community of believers around the world, uh, we need to find a conducive way to deal with our uh, discussions, where we disagree on some things and we will disagree. Um, um, and, and so how do we do this in a Christ-like way to build that trust in our conversations between each other as a community? Because the world is watching. Our children is watching how we speak to each other. And so we have a responsibility. There's also time to be silent. I, I like that uh, picture. You can read for yourself. Uh, when I was born, I was so surprised I didn't talk for a year and a half. There's something about children, babies, yes? Um, and, and I feel many times, Lord, help me. Help me when I should speak up and help me when I should be silent. Because at time, you should need to be silent. Uh, think carefully, pray carefully before you open your mouth. There's certain emails, and I've learned that. Uh, Rafat, when he was 25 years old, he was impatient. He was foolish. Uh, so when he gets an email, he will quickly answer that email. Uh, especially if it is controversial, because all of a sudden adrenaline kicks in. But now when I get emails that I know I need to take time to think about and pray about, I let it rest overnight. And some of these emails, I uh, let them rest for days before I can respond, before I respond. So there's also time to be silent, to be patient. Uh, I can tell you, I'm coming close to the end of my presentation. But if there's one thing we need to introduce within our church system, we need to introduce uh, um, what I call 
um, a policy on zero gossiping. Zero gossiping. I, I think we create so much damage. We create so much damage in our church, in our local church, in our own families, when we badmouth people, when we jump into conclusions and we don't know the facts. Nothing I have seen which can break trust and people leave the church as a result. They're so hurt, they're so offended. Um, nothing happens like that as a result of gossiping. Um, I was in a vehicle, and I, it's a sad story, I hear that, but I need to share it because uh, I think it's important that we get the message, no gossip. Um, I was in a car vehicle and the parents sit in the front and, and I was sitting in the back with a child who was maybe seven, eight years old and, and they're, they're talking, criticizing the pastor who was on the pulpit that Sabbath morning. And we know from studies that it takes four or five experiences like this with that young boy to decide whether this church is for him or not. When we erode trust in leadership, when we erode trust in each other as a community, we're also eroding trust in God. And uh, um, gossip, there should be no room for gossip. I'm being very practical in this presentation or these slides. There should be no room for gossip when we talk about trust and trust building within our church. And we all need to look at ourselves in the mirror because we have done this. And Lord, help us. But there are times where you need to put on the mute button uh, that you, cannot, you should not be speaking up or speaking out. Um, some examples, uh, which I think are unwelcome behaviors to avoid. Um, you can read this in front of you on the screen. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about this one. Human beings have a dilemma. Because in our life experience, not all our life experiences have been pleasant. And some of us carry burdens. And as you see on the screen, it is easier to fight a battle than to carry a burden. Um, and it is interesting that when Adam and Eve, or even Genesis chapter three, when they had the fall, they blamed each other, they blamed the serpent, and eventually kind of they blamed God. When we sinned, God did not blame us. He put in motion a plan of salvation, which led to the sacrifice on the cross of Jesus Christ. The blame and shame that we see against each other, even within our families, within, within um, against our leaders. Um, I think sometimes we need to reflect, not that we minimize this pain uh, or the blame and but I think we need to be very careful about this one because that's also another area where it doesn't help build trust. Um, we, need, we need to pray about this, that this hurt that we experience as individuals from life's experience does not lead to ongoing hurt. On, it needs to be managed. Ongoing hurt in our lives and subsequently hurting others as well. So that's also Another practical example when we talk about building trust within the community. So Lord help us to know when to speak up and to be silent. I can tell you this is not easy. Um, help us. Um, there's, um, sorry, I'm just, uh, 
I, I go back. I'm, I'm now going into the conclusion phase. I have about three, four minutes. We all have one and a half kilos on top of our bodies. It's our brains, 100 billion cells, 1,000 uh, 1, trillion connections. And the rumor is that it works on 10% capacity. But this is just a rumor. It is not true. Reality is it, full, it works on full capacity. That's what scientists tell us. And this brain that we all have has the ability to create, to plan, to grow, to love, but it also has the ability to destroy, to create havoc. And uh, it takes the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to tame that one and a half kilos. God has put at our disposal his power, the person of the Trinity, to be in us, around us, and within us, to help us tame the hurt, our thoughts, our words, our emotions. And I can tell you, it is work in progress. I'm thinking about myself. Lord, help me. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me in my decisions, in my words, and how I speak and how I express myself. Um, and many times, I can tell you, we have foggy minds. I love this picture. I sometimes, when you're tired, you're, you're not thinking clearly, you have a lapse of judgment, and just, you have foggy minds. Um, I also love this picture, which I added there. Um, there's a marathon that goes in our heads. The Holy Spirit is constantly working on you to make the right connections, for you to make the right assumptions, to help you focus on the things that matter. And then we're not dealing with nostalgia and decoration. So as you go through running and jogging or walking in your head with the thoughts trying to make the right connections between reasoning and your emotions and memory, and he's making all these connections in your head, you're unlearning and learning. There are times where I'm so frustrated by 10, 11 o'clock, and I pray in the morning, and we have worship with my wife and I, and there's this voice that comes to me. What happened since you prayed this morning? It's a wake-up call. You face a bit of circumstances. Does your faith in God and trust in God waver because you're facing circumstances in your life which are difficult? And so um, I like the Christ model. A couple of slides. I want to finish on this one. Christ in his dire moment most difficult moments. There's a verses there where he was praying. He withdrew about a stone throw away beyond them, his disciples. He knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. It's not my will, but yours be done. It's interesting. Notice what happens next. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. As his sweat was like drops of blood, falling to the ground. Jesus, our Savior, God sends an angel from heaven. All power was available for him to strengthen him. And what is his next step? He prayed more earnestly. I think that's quite a lesson for us, a time of trouble. How do we manage circumstance of life? If Jesus prays more earnestly, he taught us how to pray. I think that's a wonderful example that we follow in our life, pleading with him to help us to, to have that trust in him and in our community at large.
And then about worrying, um, here's another counsel on worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And you know the rest of the verses, I will not read them. But verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You never promise that tomorrow will not have its worries. Or challenges. But I think we know when we have worries and challenges, where to go to. To the rock of the ages. He gives hope. He gives blessings. And it's his way for us to go more on our knees and turn to him and plead with him to guide us because he's a shepherd. I am to be shepherd. Shepherded. And uh, last statement from Ellen White, this is the last slide. Our life must be his with Christ in God. That when he shall appear, we also may appear with him in glory. We need to come close to Christ, that men may know that we have been with Christ and learned of him. Keep your eye fixed upon Christ. With humility of mind, seek for a nearness to God. In words, in conduct, in life confess Christ. And for me, that's a key, key for having a trust in God and having a trust in each other. When we talk about God, we're talking about his message, we're talking about his mission, we're talking about his teachings, we're talking about the identity, our identity as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. So, um, friends, may God bless you. This is it. Uh, as far as my time is allocated, Christiana, I'll leave with you now to guide if there are questions or comments. And, uh, and we have half about half an hour for that. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Rafat, uh, to lead us through, through a journey and also sharing with us a lot of uh, very hands-on um, yeah, support um, measures, how we can gain more trust. Like Rafat invited you, please um, feel free to un mute you and we are excited to hear your questions your comments um if you feel more e more at ease to put it into the chat and just uh, write it and then we will discuss it what are your comments um your questions that's the opportunity now Um, hello, my name is Ethera, and um, I like uh, that sermon. I would like to ask the professor, um, uh, pastor, um, um, you've spoken of a precious message, and uh, we know uh, we as a church have a lot to improve in our lives. What do you think is the biggest issue of our church, and how can this problem be solved in your view? Uh, if you uh, can understand my uh, question. Well, Sarah, I, I understand you very well. I, I believe I met you from the picture that you have there. I met you at one of these events. But thank you for asking. Of course, you're asking a very big question. And I don't know where to start. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, good to see you. <laughs> uh, are we talking about uh, uh, the, the, the theology of our, our Bible? Uh, uh, are we talking about our mission, how we practice our mission? Um, are we talking about relationships? Um, uh, there's so many dimensions. Are we talking about relationships within our families? Are we talking about relationships as a world community? 
Um, how, how do we build trust with that? That's what we started with. It's, it's quite, building trust is not easy. Uh, it is hard enough within a business environment, Christiana, and you know that from experience, but how do you build trust as well within a church environment uh, where church members are passionate, where issues of eternal life are important issues? Um, but I think one of the issues I hope, uh, and I need to say that openly, We've forgotten how to do a mission. Let me focus on this. Um, we have uh, an amazing project not far, another one, where the church is open 24-7. Uh, the church people don't meet anymore there for Sabbath morning. They don't have services. But we have turned this into what we call a center of hope, center of influence, to serve the community. And yet we have some people who maybe come and uh, look at uh, how dirty the church is or uh, the, the carpet is worn out and we need to change the carpet. And as I mentioned to you, in God's business, we have to look at what God and what God wishes and he desires. We have to look high enough to knock down these high wall churches. I don't believe the church is about the three hours on the Sabbath morning. But somehow it turned to become all the focus, the preparation, the music, the sermon, is about the three hours on a Sabbath morning. Church is a community. Church is not individualistic. If you read the whole Bible story, it's always written in the context of a community. How can the community be active 24-7? To be the salt, the light, for the 200, 300, 400 million neighbors in Europe. And somehow this we have lost sight of. The Adventist pioneers, their stories where they just got in the car with his family and he drove to the general conference building and he said, here I am, take me. Please send me around the world. I want to be a missionary. I'm fired up. I want to follow what God desires He's put on my heart to be a missionary. And I think that is the kind of spirit that we need to start aspiring for, praying for, that God puts on our hearts to be missionaries. And I think that's what excites me about ASI and GYC. When we bring this army of uh, mostly young people um, uh, together, how can we instill in them through the Holy Spirit that message of service? Carry out the truth. So we're not some high wall churches building everything around the three hours on the Sabbath morning, but actually go out to the community, be one with the community, be salt and light as a message that Jesus has called us. Jesus spent very little time in the synagogue. You, you can count this on two hands. But if you read the story, he's out in the streets. He's out with the people, performing the miracles of healing. And I think just focusing on that, looking at your question, focusing only one narrow aspect of mission, Lord help us to knock down the high wall churches. And maybe the COVID-19 has helped us. Because I can tell you it's going to be a struggle to bring people back to the churches. And so where are the community of believers? And what are they doing? Yeah. I don't know if I've answered you, Estera, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you can keep asking. I, I'm here to you yeah. help answer. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We got a confirmation. Amen. Other questions, comments, it's it's your opportunity.
Rafat, I have a question. Sure. Um, you mentioned that trust uh, in our churches um, can also be built or we are lacking a bit of what our, our message is, what our identity is. So um, that's one side of the church, but we are also church members. We are the laity. So how can we help as lay people um, yeah, that is what we are all about, what is our message, that, that we can support the, the official church. So what can we do as, as lay people? Create opportunities for us to talk together. Um, the polarization, different opinions about uh, theology and this and that, this is not just new with the Seventh-day Adventist Church or new in 2020. It was always there from the early disciples' time. But the Holy Spirit brought us them together, united them, and I am sure they've had discussions. There was discussion with Paul and Peter and different groups within, within the early Christian churches. And I think we need to create that atmosphere that we're not talking to each other through Adventist communication media channels, or there's this group and that group. You're right. I, I look here, I, 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 in my mind, I don't look at you as GYC or ASI. I look at you as brothers and sisters. Who are you? That, for me, that's your identity. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we partner with GYC. We partner with ASI. And I can tell you that it took a journey, and Christiana knows this, Anna knows this. It took a journey for us trying to figure out who we are. So we sat down together with ASI, GYC, who are you? And then through these discussions, we became closer. We attend each other's meetings because there are a lot of assumptions out there which are not true. And once we, you know the person and you know this is a person who is dedicated to the message and the mission and the identity of Seventh-day Adventist Christians. They want what is best for the church. They want unity that we work together. We want to do business together. And that's what happened. That's how we became close. And we grew together with ASI and GYC. And so along that same model, I think we shouldn't be speaking over each other's heads or through communication media or even create a gossip atmosphere. Gossip should be out. If we care about the church and care about trust in God and trust in each other, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not be having this talking. We should talk to each other like we're doing right now. Maybe one day in person, which I prefer any day. I prefer the three dimensions. So a, a simple answer, Christiana, thank you for asking, is we need to create what I call wet cement conversations. Mm -hmm. We need to create us that we sit down, we talk, we understand each other, where you come from, where I come from, and then grow together. That's what the early disciples did in the upper room. And I'm sure they've done that over and over again. And I think we need to do that. And we, we need to work together. There's no other way. So it's actually just a, just about communication, about conversation. I remember the first time when we met Rafat, it was about communication. We realized, oh, that's exciting. We should really, um, we, we just started to exchange on that. Um, and I think as human beings, we just tend to sort our lives. So that's the reason why we put some topics into this draw. <laughs> other topics into the other drawers and totally uh, forget about it that actually we are all in the same cupboard in the same world uh, so I'm so excited it's actually simple what you suggested to us today it's it's all about 
communication. Praying, having, right. getting our hearts in order. If we don't okay. have agendas. If we have agendas, I don't think it's going to work. But I think the, we need to unlearn. I use the word unlearn. And uh, I often use the word as well, expression. God brings my way people who can help Rafat from Rafat. Because many times I am my worst enemy. And I need help. I need help to unlearn and learn with the spirit of humility and be open that really uh, I'm here for a short period in my leadership role or my sphere of influence. And how can I do this in a positive way to build the church, to do God's work and his will? So, um, yeah, you're right. Just uh, to, uh, to you as the audience, um, I would like to know, and probably you can put that into the chat, what are your takeaways from the last hour we just spent together? Would you mind just to put something into the chat or is someone among you who just would like to put it in his or her own words? I guess it would be nice to give Rafat a bit of a feedback. I want to give, I want to give a feedback. Pastor Rafa, it was a blessed message. And uh, what I understood from this is that the church, our church, is diverse with such a variety of human beings, with such a variety of characters. Although it's not perfect, it's in the hand of God, and God cares about his church. And uh, uh, although we are not perfect, we can be together through Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Andre. Thank you for sharing. I'm just thinking, uh, Andre, about the challenge of... Um, the early church, the Old Testament church, the Jewish nation, where they felt that they are called by God, they are exclusive, they're the ones who have the truth. And here comes Jesus and rocks the boat. And he rocks, yes. the, boat. He rocks the boat big time. And then he tells yes. them, in Acts, before Jesus goes up to heaven, ascension, you need to go to old Judea. And wait a minute, what next? Samaria. Samarians are not, Samaritans are not the friends of the Jews. What are you doing, God? Jesus, what are you doing? You're putting us, taking us to the lion's den and then the rest of the world. God's vision is so big, it's a global vision. And that includes engaging with your enemies. And that's what Jesus did. He came, rocked the boat, uh, stirred a lot of things up because his message of salvation is global. It transcends opinions. It just transcends internal and external divisions. And these walls need to be knocked down. Because our mission needs to be one, our message is one, and therefore we need to be united. And united, why? Because Jesus Christ is at the helm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other takeaways? What you are starting now to de-learn <laughs> or relearn? That was, I guess, your word. Yeah, unlearn and learn or relearn. Un like un un unlearn, yeah. Yes. So my takeaways are on one side, the communication and the utmost um, topic really to pray. We had this morning in the Sabbath school class also um, yeah, to know <laughs> when to speak and not to speak. And I liked it in your slide when I said, Father, give us, or Holy Spirit, give us the, the, the direction when 
to speak and even more when to be silent. I just read one comment from Angela. Angela, you are from Romania, I guess. Um, I appreciate the mes mes message. I think loyalty to God, our church, and one another is essential. Amen. Amen. And uh, whatever the devil throws at us, um, I think we need to keep thinking about the big why, that God is in control, that we're here because of him. He never promised a life without struggle and anxiety. Um, I can share a lot of personal experiences of my professional private life. Um, but I know at the end, the focus needs to be on him. Nothing should distract from him. Um, so, yes, yes. Uh, even the way we talk to others, I, I, and I've experienced that myself. Uh, I had a church member beside me, and we were going to meet one of the Hindu leaders uh, in the UK. And uh, uh, my good friend there... Um, lesson is you've got to be very careful and have tact when you talk to people and you need to pray carefully. You don't start with the question. So your religion, you have a, a thousand gods or 70,000 gods, or you don't start a conversation like this. I think if you're going to build trust and relationships, you also need to learn. We have forgotten that we've lost our way. How do we talk to the other? How do we talk to people who are not Seventh-day Adventists, uh, Christians? We have, we, we're good maybe at talking to each other, but how do we talk to people from other faith? And how do we engage with them in a constructive way? And like the Apostle Paul did. Um, so I think that's another area, when uh, Christiana, when you talk about conversation, how do we talk to people who are not mm -hmm. within our club? Uh, that requires wisdom as well. How, does it, uh, how long does it take um, to develop trust? You quoted uh, this awful <laughs> long time of uh, time period uh, how, how long does it take I think I look at my relationship with my wife we've been married for 34 years <laughs> and I believe I believe it's a life experience I know she trusts me I know I trust her but I think it is a life experience and and I think if you really unpack this carefully what is discipleship what is disciple making it's it's a life experience of building trust to, to believe in God that he can really save you, that he can take you through the worst, the Red Sea experience. Uh, I think that requires amazing trust in him that he's able, that it doesn't matter what hardship I'm facing in my life, I will still say that God is good, that I do trust God. And I think that's for me a life experience. Uh, yeah. does, does it mean we, we are mostly of the time too impatient so we are really expecting that trust just clicks? We're short-sighted. Human beings are short-sighted. We're impatient. We have certain temperaments. We have preconceived ideas. And even in my mind, I sometimes jump too fast to assumptions. And I make the wrong connections. And uh, that's where we need the Holy Spirit to say, wait a minute, this person is going through some difficult time now. What they're saying might not make sense. You need to be patient with that as a brother, as a sister, and be patient with them and appreciate and have empathy and sympathy and compassion. And so I think that's the way God deals with us. And I believe that's the way God deals with, we need to deal with each other. So it's, um, it's, it's a humbling experience, I would mm. say. Group, um, 
another feedback what your takeaway is from this afternoon or what you are um, doing next with that what you just heard this afternoon what are your next plans I like the way the exercise is also silence, so, you know, because we talked about this time also to, uh, to be quiet. So they're reflecting. That's where you take it. Yeah. Um, I, I have a thought. I think if we will have, will be as deserves, uh, all our troubles and our problems will be solved because if you live as his lives were uh, people can see it and, and come to God. Um, right. And that is uh, what I I learned in this uh, sermon and thank you for reminding me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I know I, I, I hear follow Christ. I like I like more the expression live Christ because live Christ yeah. includes also following Christ, listening to his commandments and his teachings. But live Christ is a, is a very good example, um, like you said, uh, Esther. So thank you, thank you for sharing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, this project that is nearby, which I told you about, where uh, uh, four people have asked for baptism just by being volunteers um, and and just having connecting with the, with our church, uh, with our church people as well. So. Um, and one of them is one of the leaders, actually, of volunteers here. So I think it's amazing how God works. Uh, uh, many of us didn't even talk to these people about our faith or Jesus Christ, but they could see. They could see in our life, and that creates immediately a connection. Uh, and, uh, and trust is built. And so and they will be taking, uh, they are taking Bible lessons now, so which is very good. Amen. So actually, to, to summarize, it's put your eyes on, G, uh, on, on Jesus um, and pray. I mean, all the other topics are coming out of, of prayer, what you described, um, the different steps. If you speak about uh, that, we are clear about our purpose, um, also about the impact, about the identity, um, communication and we can I guess we can really summarize it in one word pray yeah. great would you trust him. yeah trust him yeah. that's right no other questions yeah uh, would yeah. would you like to lead us in prayer I'll do that now thank you thank you everyone thank you for joining us and thank you Christiana for your words amazing wonderful Lord when we think about the plan of salvation, Lord, that you are the architect, Lord, the implementer and the perfecter. When we think about the mission that you've given each one of us, when we, th you th when we think about the grand scheme of turning this earth from a dry land into a valley, green valley, pastures that is buzzing with life, this was a plan, Lord, when you create him, Adam and Eve, Lord, and the whole creation story. Mm. And we know, Lord, that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and through the power and person of the Holy Spirit, 
and through the message that you've given each one of us that our business today is to make disciples within our families, within our communities, within our neighborhoods, within people at work, to prepare them for the soon coming of Christ. When through Jesus' return, you will restore creation which is groaning with pain and struggle and brokenness and division. You will restore your creation to its perfect form. Thank you. Thank you for the plan of salvation. Thank you for the message you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the mission and the purpose why we're here. We pray for every single person uh, on the screen here. We pray for their families, Lord. May you touch them in a special way that trust radiates out of them. Trust in you as God, as almighty, as all-powerful, and only you to be praised. And trust, Lord, in each other as human beings. Help us, Lord, learn to learn how to trust you more and to trust each other that we focus on the things that matter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.